we are live for the 107th episode of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast. I'm your host, Matt Luzluigi, and tonight it's Andrew, it's G, and me. How are we doing, guys? What's going on? How's it going? Just, you know, we're entering month three of the lockout, and, you know, as much as as much as we want to be positive, as much as we have high hopes of seeing our baseball team actually play baseball games this year uh, rather soon, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, we're going to go in all. Good. Not looking good. Uh, there was a big athletic article that dropped uh, a couple days ago, and uh, obviously they – a lot of – at least I feel like a few weeks ago, it was a lot of very vague, right? Shit, they had about one meeting in a you know six week span, right? There was literally nothing to talk about. We really didn't get any updates. We didn't get much of anything. But this week we got something, right? The last this last week and now this week we've gotten stuff. We have like actual negotiations. Actual okay, this is what the players want. This is what the owners want. So we're actually getting things. But from the looks of it, and considering how many different things are being discussed. <laughs> being that, you know, according to my calendar, if this is correct, it's two two twenty two. So that means that usually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, pitching and catchers would usually be reporting in about 15 days, give or take. And that don't look likely at all. I mean, unless we get like a, a pass and bomb that uh, the lockout is now over and, you know, kumbaya, uh, everything's fine. Uh, I don't think the season's starting on time. And we'll, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into, like I said, the what they're exactly negotiating, the athletical article we're going to be referencing. They went into six different sections of things that are being discussed. But, yeah, a lot still in the air and a lot still uh, just left to be just determined. But other than that, guys, how are we doing? Yeah, it, it's been really frustrating, obviously, um, that we had so much of the offseason season in just dormancy, right, where they just weren't making any effort to negotiate. They kind of kicked the can down the road past the holidays. And then the first meeting was, what, like they met for 15 minutes. They realized they were really far Mm -hmm. apart. Nothing happened. And now we're getting some more sustenance to the negotiations, but they're still really far apart, and it doesn't seem like either side is, is willing to budge. So it's certainly frustrating. I think we've all come to the agreement that, at the very least, the start of spring training is going to be delayed and likely the start of the regular season as well. Uh, whether it's a, still going to be 162 games should it get delayed is, is a whole other issue. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, it's just really frustrating. And, and I think Matt said it in, in our chat earlier today, but it just makes it really difficult and frustrating to be a fan of this sport when this is the kind of stuff we deal with every few years. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to – I mean, Andrew just mentioned it, but I want to make special note of how stupid it was that they waited six weeks before they even sat at the table. Like, it was like a, hey, you know, we locked you out. We didn't really need to do that, but we locked you out. And, you know, both sides were being really whatever, you know, aggressive towards each other. But, like, they locked each other, you know, they got locked out on December 2nd and then didn't do anything until mid-January. And even if you had that, like, 15-minute we-hate-each-other meeting in early December, that would have at least been something. And you could be like, okay, well, we're not going to meet again until three weeks, four weeks after the holidays. But we sat at the table and figured out what the problem was. And I just think it's really freaking stupid um, that they 
didn't. And honestly, in my opinion, they really still don't seem to be acting with, you know, both, you know, all parties involved here don't seem to be acting with enough urgency because it's pretty much unless they're negotiating for like several hours a day, more than once a week, um, they're not starting anything on time. Well, I think that's it. I, it's it's just the lack of urgency. And I think they're more concerned with, with winning, with getting what they want than they are with doing it in a timely manner and making sure that it doesn't interrupt the start of the season. Of course, you still have a number of top free agents who are without a job right now, and they can't even negotiate with their potential employers because of the lockout. So it just comes down to both sides being incredibly selfish. Um, the league not wanting to concede on enough things and wanting to make it about money. The players wanting to ask for the moon and actually get it. It's just, I don't even know if between a rock and a hard place is a, is a good enough, a strong enough example. It, it's really just like you have two meathead idiots running at each other at full speed, uh, almost like a game of chicken, and they're ready to concuss each other and bleed out in the street after they make contact. Like, there's, there's no other way to explain it. Thanks for that graphic example, Andrew, but you're absolutely right, man. It really is. Let's just go into the article, what the, the sections are, what they're debating, right? First, the minimum salary, right? Then we have arbitration and pre, pre-R bonus pools. Then we have luxury tax. Then we go to a possibility of a draft lottery and service time manipulation, right? That's, of course, a pretty big one that I think may be the trickiest to figure out, right? Because... There really isn't that. I feel like that one, there really isn't an obvious fix, but let's just start at the top. Um, look, the like they were saying in the article, the minimum salary, this is a big one because, you know, in as of November, they said 571 players, which was 63% of the league in, in 2019 made up of these types of players. So the minimum salary, the players want a certain number. They want to go from 570 to 775 where the owners have proposed that the players will earn 615 in their first year, 650 in their second year, and 700 in their third year. So this is kind of like where you see the first example of like, okay, like that's kind of a major difference, right? Like 775 versus, you know, 615, 650 to 700. That's kind of like right away we're, we're kind of far apart. And the article even notes that um, the increase in, in the first year at least um, barely – offsets the the cost of living increase right with inflation where it is right now right. like the the amount that they they would get in the first year is barely enough to keep in line with how much the cost of goods and the cost of living in, in these cities right housing and transportation all that is going to be anyway so it's really not even a raise it's it's really just like hey look there's escalation built in which is good and i agree i, I like the system of escalation rather than saying hey here's the flat number we're going to renegotiate every year like it could be six hundred twenty thousand this year maybe it'll be six hundred thirty-five thousand. you'll get an extra 15k like that's nothing right like hey look here's gonna be your number you're gonna get an extra fifty thousand a year after that you're gonna extra fifty thousand a year after that or whatever the numbers are right whatever they settle on um, i do like that but certainly it, it's an issue in that the players I don't even think $775,000, like, I, I try not to choose sides in this, but I don't think $775,000 is is that much to ask for. So I don't know why that's just not like, a fine, we'll give you that, shut up, take, take it, move. we'll give you one thing. Right, and especially I mean, there's, when... I feel like you? there's a pretty, sorry, there's a, I mean, the overarching theme beyond, like, the ownership wanting to maintain the status quo of all these various things, right, is that they just don't want to spend significantly more than what they're spending right now. And like, obviously it's very easy for me to spend someone else's money, but like I, 
you know, that's as Luigi goes through and we discuss all these things, that's kind of going to be the common theme is that the ownership, you know, does, doesn't want to spend a lot more than what the current financial structure of the sport is, you know, allowing them to or, you know, forcing them not to spend. Yeah, but even do do the math on this, right? Like, it's not that big of an increase. And even for the poorest of owners, teams that, that really don't pay players above arbitration, like, I don't know, the Pirates, like the Athletics, like the Rays are a great example, right? If you're talking about a 200, 225,000, 230,000, whatever the number is, increase per, per, per year per player, um, even if you have, like, three quarters or more of your roster on those year one through three salaries at that, that what we're going to call the minimum, but it's not really a minimum. Um, that's like $4 million. Like that's, that's what we're splitting hairs over, right? Giving every player who's in their first, second or third year of, of their career without a long-term contract, an extra hundred K per year, or let's even say 200 K per year. Uh, that times 20 players is $4 million. That's not a lot of money. It, it, it's really shouldn't be, a sticking point as so much as some of the other stuff we're going to get into. Exactly. It really is just like, that should be like the minimum, like, all right, well, like that, yeah, that, that should be fine. Cause like the article reference, like that doesn't even cover the cost of living in a lot of these cities, these guys are living in a lot of these States. So yeah, the next, let's just go into, cause there's so much to go into. I don't want to spend too much time on each thing. Right. Cause it's pretty self-explanatory. Second uh, negotiating, uh, issue they're running into arbitration and pre-R bonus pools right now <laughs> I love how they worded this in the article right because there's you know there's small oh okay they made progress the league agreed that the union's concept for a bonus pool for pre-arbitration players uh, was like a good idea with the size of the pool to be negotiated but that was about all they got done right the players wanted to start at two years the owners want to keep it at three um, they they're proposing like you know they proposed this uh like they call it the super twos that, you know, certain players who are the super twos, like they use Corbin Burns as an example, right? Like he would have been eligible for $2.34 million based on his uh, Cy Young award and war. Another guy would be like Vladdy Jr. or Randy or Rosarena, like, you know, guys who are clearly outperforming uh, like a, the average first or second year player. And, you know, they, the article goes into a bunch of possible bonuses. Like, you know, if you finish in the top 10 of war and you're, uh, you know, for your position, you would be eligible. But like, I like that idea, right. Of like incentivizing guys who are in their first and second years that, Hey, if you, you know, if you ball out, if you have a great year, like you're going to be eligible for more money like that, like that's, that's like a good idea in my opinion, right. That incentivizes performance, but. Right. And to be honest, for the players that, that capitalize off that system, that's better than getting to arbitration a year sooner. Because exactly. In, un, unless you're a superstar like Vladdy Jr. or a Randy Rosarena or Corbin Burns, right, in your first two or three years, um, your first year of arbitration, like look at a guy like Gio Rochella for us, right? Like I think his first year was like, what, one and a half million, like two million? Like is that a, is a step up from the 500K you were making on, on your entry level deal? Yeah. But it's not like you're suddenly going to make like four or five million dollars. Mm -hmm. Now, under this bonus pool system, if you put up a monster year, you could take down four, four and a half million dollars in your second year of your career just because you earned it and it's all, it's all bonus money. And I do like that system uh, where the issue is obviously is the discrepancy in, in the size of the pool, right? The, the league came in at $10 million, which is just like spinning in the face of the MLB Players Association. And, and the MLBPA came back with 105, which I think they dropped to 100 earlier this week, which 
that's a, that's a ridiculous amount of money. Like now you're talking about potentially having a huge portion of but, of these rosters mm-hmm. in years one, two, and three making more right. money than but, guys in arbitration. But they said that uh, that that 105 mil would only go to the zero to two players, which is like you know obviously a much smaller group. Yeah, so. right. Which is even, which is even right. It's even more restrictions from the zero to three. Yeah. So that was kind of like a that was kind of a breaking point. But uh, like I don't. It's just. There's so many – there really are just so many good ideas that are in here, and you're like, oh, man, this sounds great. Like, and and then you just kind of keep reading, and you're like, ah, oh, uh, okay, I guess not that. I guess that's not going to happen. And it really is like – like we, we're just going to say this a million times. It really is just frustrating to be a baseball fan right now. No, I think, I think all these things are going to happen. So there is some design to where the new CBA would go. And, and yeah, I think a lot of these things will happen. And, and the league, as much – as you're going to see them get dragged in articles on Twitter, on the radio, whatever else. Like, and obviously I'm not standing by the office of Rob Manfred, right? Like there's no reason for me to defend him uh, or the <laughs> owners here, but like to their credit, they are at least willing to make some of these concessions. Now the problem is how far are they willing to dive into the pool, right? They're, they're sticking their toe and saying, look, we're trying. Um, as opposed to the players saying like, you had a cannonball or fuck you. And it's like, there's no middle ground. Right, right, exactly. Um, so let's go into luxury tax next, right? Or unless we – anything else you want to say about uh, arbitration? All right, then. Let's go to luxury tax. So basically, the luxury tax, uh, real quick, they want to bring it to $273 million by 2026. Uh, the previous largest jump was $11.5 million from 2013 to 14. And the league's proposing that less than that uh, increase of four million from two fourteen, topping out two twenty million. So on a five year deal. So basically, like like with the, with inflation, with what it is, like these changes really just aren't that much. Like that's especially if they're saying by twenty twenty six they want to make it to two hundred seventy three million. That's like I really don't think I really think the league is being like naive and a lot with a lot of these numbers in terms of. Like, you know, not considering inflation. Like, I really do. I mean, I would say maybe they're being naive if I believe that they didn't know what they were doing, but I'm pretty sure they do. They just don't want to spend more. Is my It's, it's my opinion. I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty well-founded one. But, like, <laughs> you know, and this is the luxury tax especially. This is the one that most Yankee fans are probably going to pay closest attention to because – as soon as this lockout gets lifted, we're all thinking, who are the Yankees going to get? What are they going to spend? Who, how are they going to fill out the roster, right? This is the one that we're thinking that they're running up against or paying like closest attention to because – You're absolutely right. And the article made a point of saying like the league strategically calls it the competitive balance tax, which doesn't sound like a luxury tax, right, even though we know that's what it is. Um, no, you're completely right, though, in that uh, the owners are, are just being cheap because remember when this first was instituted – and, and I believe I, I'd have to double check. The first year was what, 2009, 2010, something like that. So um, right before um, George Steinbrenner died, he wasn't really actively running the team, but like the money was still there. Um, it was put in place to restrict teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers from spending 280 to 300 million dollars every year and just buying championships that other low low budget small market clubs couldn't. So. So that intention, it served its purpose, but now that we're getting to a point where all the owners are actually taking advantage of it, instead of being restricted by it, they're actually using it as a reason not to spend, and that's where it's totally broken. It's why fans of 
like fans like us of a team with the, the market capital, the Yankees, are so frustrated that they refuse to spend where they so willingly and obviously can. Right. And see, that's the thing that's annoying is that it wasn't like the players wanted this the last time around. It's the owners that wanted it. Right. They wanted some structure that was like, hey, we need to restrict, um, you know, spending so that the Dodgers spent two hundred and seventy five million this year and the Orioles spent, what, 50 like. And they're thinking that, oh, well, you know, we might not be able to force the Orioles to spend more. But if we prevent the Dodgers from spending, you know, significantly more then that'll, you know, keep it balanced and competitive and all that, whatever. The owners put this in place and then are running up against it being like, oh, well, you know, ain't, there ain't shit we could do about it. It's just, you know, they're using it as a salary cap. Right, right. The intention was to restrict the giant clubs from outspending everyone else and not giving them a chance. And what it's actually done, uh, and I think it was an old Associated Press article from a couple of years ago or, or maybe beginning of this past season, but salaries are down over the last two seasons. Obviously, 2000. 20 because of the pandemic, even if you prorate out what they spent back well, to a full 162 well, game season. But mm-hmm. salaries are, are down because teams are saying, oh, well, look, we, we're at the salary, we're at the uh, CBT level, so we're just not going to spend. And then players teams are getting go- the money. They teams are going young. Market. And teams are just, that's why teams are going way younger, right? But right. like I said, 63% of the league was for those first three year players. And it's why? Because you don't have to pay those guys shit. It's like, all right, you're making this, you're making this. Yeah, get out there and, and you know, here's your chance, right? You're only making half a million. I don't have to pay you anything because you've only been in the league for a couple of years. So, right. Like, yeah, like that's a, league a like big the, part of it. I agree. Like a league like the NFL may, may skew young because as you age, taking right. Contact, such a course. violent toll, it, it wears you down. And the younger players who are fresh and still green are going to be generally better, right? Now, obviously, you have exceptions of like a cornerback who's – 33 and still playing at an elite level like yeah sure fine but generally speaking the younger players are the better players and that's not necessarily the case in major league baseball uh, it's true to some extent but right more than more than anything teams are getting younger not because the best players are between the age of 24 and 27 but because they're the cheapest and most affordable exactly exactly um something i found interesting this article was uh you know in just in terms of like revenue basically like how that going to generate more revenue and obviously they talked about you know the kind of regional sports networks right that's kind of a hit to the owners they make a lot of money off that but you know something that is you know really wasn't as much of a thing as it was five ten years ago is legalized sports betting right a lot of these states are getting legalized sports betting right it seems like a new state each month uh legalizes sports betting so I think that could be a may if the MLB, you know, plays their cards right and maybe partners, you know, has the teams partner with draft. I mean, man, you, you can't watch like I'm sure you got because, you know, when did it become legal in New York last month? You can't watch well, anything. <laughs> well, well, I'm in New Jersey, so it doesn't matter. Well, I'm saying, I'm <laughs> yes. just saying I'm, the team we – well, Andrew, the team we cover is in New York. But yes, I'm just saying, just like, you know, when I watch – I'm watching a Rangers game, Yankees game, like, oh, DraftKings, you know, guess the score. So I think that – I mean, look, man, sports betting makes so, – gambling makes so much money. It's just unbelievable how much uh, money these states make from gambling. So I think that could be a major, major factor with the MLB if they, uh, you know. If you have teams openly tanking and, like, I know obviously it's an easy game to bet against a team, um, it, but but not every obviously spreads and everything like in in the payouts you can't just 
you, can you imagine like how much that disrupts the the actual market for for betting when you have teams openly tanking? You don't know what they're going to do on any given night. Like, oh well, maybe they're going to actually try tonight, and then like it's wild. No, and I want to say that, like, in terms of this luxury tax, like the proposals, like you could debate the merits of like a lot of these union versus league proposals and all these, uh, you know, various categories. But this league proposal in the luxury tax one is like insulting, right? For yeah. increase of $4 million in the first year, that's basically nothing. Because what yeah. owner is going to be like, hey, like, oh, well, we, you know, it's $214 million now, it's not 210 so let's go and fucking go you know sign someone yeah, now, to a now we, exactly. year contract. now we got the green light oh 214 we're, yeah we're like oh yeah whatever well, there's gonna be some savings or whatever right it doesn't matter like that's well that's to an increase of credit, the owners don't want to spend any more in terms of luxury tax threshold to at least help with that number though is that major league baseball accounts the cbt by average annual value so if you're locked into a seven-year contract um you're using less of the cap in year one than you would be in year two if it goes up by that four million right um, so that's different from other contracts where it, it's it fluctuates year over year. Uh, but, but yeah, certainly you're still right. Well, Andrew, you actually, you know, you mentioned tanking before that would be a good transition to a draft lottery being possible, right? Obviously, you know, if you watch NBA, NHL, there's draft lotteries, right? In the NBA and NHL. So basically both sides and both sides proposal, right? The, uh, the, un- the league and the union, the league and the union both want all non-playoff teams in the lottery. However, here comes the difference, right? The league wants only the top three picks in play. The union wants the top eight. So, like, that number is negotiable most likely, but they said the bigger fight is going to be over the union's desire to reward additional picks to teams that reach certain levels of performance. And the league wants no part of such a plan, right? So... Because obviously, like you just mentioned, Andrew, tanking is a concern, you know, competitive integrity. It's a concern in every sport, right? Teams just get to a certain point. And, like, I feel like it's not as big of a deal in MLB because, look, like, if you are, like, the worst team in MLB and you get the number one pick, like, yeah, the number one overall pick in the MLB is going to be a great player most likely and a great prospect. But most likely he's not going to help your team right away. Whereas well, in you know yeah, the NBA, well, like you could get like LeBron James or a you know next level prospect who's averaging twenty five points a game like in three months. Where MLB, you know, like you're probably not going to draft a guy and he's going to be an MVP level in, in a few months. So I think yeah, the, the, there's the a Astros slight difference. and the Rays needed to come in and needed to tank for like eight years before. Yeah, I was about to say like in the MLB, you have to tank for like five six years and get like you know accumulate like three or four or five top three picks. So right, I don't think you, t- look at, you, <laughs> you look look at the Bengals. They they got the number one overall pick and two years later Joe Burrow took him to the Super Bowl so like it, it's baseball's not like that where you can just get one yeah that's that's what I'm saying like it's such more of a team game and I feel like like I feel like there's just teams that are just shitty organizations that are run so terribly like they don't even need to tank bad and they're like being cheap is basically just like a form of tanking right like if you don't want teams to tank like hey make make teams spend a certain amount of money right make teams like like somehow incentivize teams to go out and get guys and sign guys that help their team get better because like, you would almost you know, need to put like 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 a win floor and be like if you lose yeah, exact, more than a, more than six if you if you win less than sixty five games a year you're gonna have to forfeit a draft pick and as as think, you give up like as you dip below a certain threshold the penalties become stiffer and stiffer like <laughs> like we we've been talking about that you know, like certain teams like oh we're not going to spend money like that like that's as bad as tanking like just willingly not spending money in order to get your team better that's 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 almost a form of tanking so. 
And I mean, like we've I said, seen that for sure. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I guess they could use the Cleveland Guardians. I, 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 I take shots at the Orioles multiple times every podcast. I'm, so I'm going to use I'm, someone else. Can I just say, I'm going to get the Cleveland Guardians and the Washington Commanders mixed up all the time because they're just both such fake, like Madden, vid created team video game names. And they're both coming into, like, you know, coming into fruition right at the same time. Like, I'm just going to get those two names mixed up. I know I am. Um, they're both, just, yeah, they're both just such that, made up names. I will say that when they changed their name to the Washington football team, I just started calling them the Washingtons, and that's essentially what I'm going to keep calling them because that, I don't, I don't yeah, think a it's a good name. name. Yeah, I mean, either way. So um, for, you know, Cleveland, right, we saw the last couple of years, you know, for, for a handful of years, they had really good pitching, they had solid, you know, they had like, you know, they had obviously Francisco Lindor, and now their payroll last year or right now is like $30 million. It's like they got rid of everyone. Yeah. And what was what, what was the quote reason, by the owner? Enjoy him while you can about Lindor. He yeah, said. like literally. What <laughs> I mean, the, Andrew hates when I you know talk about net worth, but the Cleveland franchise's owner's net worth is like five billion dollars, and he's out here being like, um, "Well, yeah, ain't shit I can do about it, right?" Like we have a generational what's talent. Incentivizing, he's he's gonna leave. Just get used to it, <laughs> right? Like, but I thought there that's kind of going at some interesting stuff like in in this this category i felt like did have some interesting proposals where it's like you have a draft lottery um i think it i think generally it's better than what they have right now because right now it's just like hey it's a race to the bottom like get there get there like but the draft lottery i think would probably help a little bit but i thought there were some interesting proposals in that like it said the union um you know you have basically so many so many times being in the lottery consecutively before you, they're going to try and force you to be better by like, you can be, right. Um, you know, if you're in the lottery more than two seasons, you're not going to be in it for a third one. And if you're a, a you know, bigger market team, it's like, uh, if you finish in a certain spot, you're not going to be in the lottery. Like at a certain point, they're going to try and force you to be better because you're not going to get the pick regardless of where you finish. Right. Right now, there like I like I said, there are definitely some good ideas in that order, and I would, you know, I would be down for a draft lottery, even though I don't think it's as pressing of an issue as all the other things we've talked about. It would be something cool to have. But the last thing in that article, <laughs> you want to talk about tricky service time manipulation, right? So obviously we all know this, right? You keep young top young players in the minors for like that extra month or two, so you don't have to get you get that extra year of service time, and you know, it's it's kind of just it's a sticky situation, but like you know, what's the fix, right? Like there, like there's there were some solid proposals in here, but you know, nothing nothing really that like too substantial, and that's something that I think is going to really hold us up because this is the last section of the article, and the last sentence of this article is a new CBA is not close. So that's really that's kind of really all we need to know. Um, yeah. I, like, obviously, the prime example of service time manipulation, at least the guy I always think of is Chris Bryant, right? Um, like, the day, the day he was eligible, he just comes up, and then he just gets sent back down. Classic. Oh, God. No, I, I tell you what, though. That seems to be the area where there is the most promise. Now, they do differ on how strictly they're going to enforce, um, or I should say incentivize players uh, and teams actually get up so then that they can <laughs> accrue that full year. Uh, I think the leagues was a little more stringent, right? The uh, the union wanted to give them, if they finish in like the top five of rookie of the year or, or any other 
um, all MLB list or something like that, that they automatically accrued a full year of service even if they only played like 45 games. A good example would be Gary Sanchez, right? Like he didn't right. play a full year. His rookie year, he played 60 games. But I think when all was said and done, he hit, what, 21, 22 home runs. Like he absolutely would have qualified on war and all the other qualifications here uh, that he would have been considered one full year of service after that two-month cup of coffee, right? Uh, and I do like that because it does prevent teams. Like, hey, if a guy comes up and plays two months and is awesome, he, he played a full year, he's going to get to free agency uh, sooner. So you waiting until July to bring him up only hurts you not having him on your roster in April, May, and June, right? So, like, I do like that, and I think that helps the players. Uh, it helps them obviously get to arbitration at the very least sooner, uh, and it helps them get on major league rosters sooner to take part of the, the pre-arb pool we talked about earlier. And um, that was what some of the, you know, the differences that they outlined in the article, because it was saying like, um, you know, the league plan anyway, seems like it would really focus on, you know, bringing up like the very best ones where it's like, Hey, Vlad Guerrero, like he should be up on opening day. Well, if you, um, under the league's plan, if you have these players qualify for, you know, select a few things where it's just like, um, you know, top three in rookie of the year or top five in Cy Young or MVP, then you'd, you know, then obviously they would play and they'd play enough to get a year of service. And the team in that way, if they finish in those categories, would get a draft pick. And the league or the union's plan was, um, for a lot broader of a uh, range of players where it's like, you know, oh, if they finished in the tops in the same sort of categories, but then it's like, you know, a subset of players for positions that finish in, you know, a top whatever based on some certain statistics and evaluating things. It's like, obviously it'd be a lot broader. And if you, there's a potential for ownership to have to spend a lot more money because, you know, especially with the arbitration stuff. Like if you had a lot more players, a lot qualifying for service time sooner than, and then you could go down that road. Um, but I just thought it was that, I don't know this, this one is, it could, I feel like it could get really bad and cause kind of a holdup. Yeah. Well, um, well, look there in there and you just, li- you just outlined, you. you outlined the specifics of the entire negotiation, right. Um, in terms of they want what's best for them and they don't care how it affects other people. Like the major league baseball players association, doesn't give a shit about draft pick compensation, right? Like the owners say, hey, look, we'll be willing to give you a full year of service and we'll be willing to have to, to not manipulate service time, but we get a draft pick out of it. So like, you know, you you wash our our hands, we'll wash yours, right? Kind of thing. Like, um, but the player association doesn't care about draft pick compensation. They just want the players to get paid and, and not be held in the minors, right? So that's at the core of of anything. You can extrapolate out that that keep uh, concept uh, on everything we've talked about tonight. It's just like, I, I, what do we think? That, how do we think this ends? Well, actually, Who, who's going to make in more terms of this, the, um, the, the thing about that was what the article said. It's like in terms of the, the league's plan where the, if your player finishes in a certain, however, you know, top few of these various categories, then obviously the player plays enough to get a year of service and the team gets awarded a draft pick. And the article is saying, the union doesn't believe in that because it's just saying that the ownerships of these teams won't care about an extra draft pick. You right. Know, it's, and it's not, it's like not, it's not even a top 10 pick. 
It, yeah, it's, it's like they're it's not a getting a first pick. round pick. Yeah, exactly. They're getting a comp pick. It's like they don't care about a comp pick. They care about the fact that if you keep Chris Bryant down, you know, for an extra or long enough to get an extra year, then you have to pay him $20 million a lot later than you would have otherwise. So they don't care about an extra draft pick. It's just an, a means for them to kick the can down the road. Yep. Yep, that's you guys really broke. Like I, I would add something, but you guys really just broke it down really well there. So I'm not going to ruin that, you know. Um, well, guys, I hate to kind of be a Debbie Downer, but there was an article posted this week about you know what the Yankees basically was. You know, is Andy Martinez to take it with a grain of salt, but it's basically about what the Yankees are going to do once this lockout does end, if it ever does. And let's just say, uh, I don't know. Let's just say that. It doesn't look like the Yankees are going to make a big splash, right? We're probably out on Correa. Maybe Trevor Story, if the market kind of slows down, he may fall into our laps. Um, it was also revealed that uh, the Yankees were not willing to let up Volpe or Peraza to the A's for Matt Olson, which I find a little interesting, but not too surprising. Um, well, also, if you're like not holding your Correa cards close. Right, right, exactly. Um, that means that, hey, we may be seeing Peraza this coming season, right? Who knows? Because right now it's Gio and Glaber as the two quote-unquote shortstops. So, uh, yeah, and, and so yeah. one thing that right. Martino did specify, and I hate it, and it, it shows just how, how cheap the franchise is, but he said, I think when he tweeted, he's like, but it does pose a significant opportunity, uh, and that opportunity was that there's going to be such a mad dash to sign free agents that there's someone who's going to not have the market that they expected mm-hmm. or who's someone whose market in February or March would be less than it would have been in November or December of the previous year. And that they may be able to steal a guy like Trevor story for way less than mm-hmm. he would have gotten had they been competing against all the other teams three months ago. And, and like, yeah, if you could, if you could get lucky and play that and you, you know, roll those dice and get the guy you want for less than you would have had to otherwise spend, then sure, take it and mm-hmm. run with it, and, and we'll count ourselves lucky. But it just shows like that's what they're banking on, that they're not willing to just exactly. over the checkbook and just get the guy. Like that's pathetic. Yep, yep, that's that's kind of the whole thing. Like they're just hoping that one of these you know elite level guys falls into their lap because maybe the market crashes. Like that's what that's what they're banking on. And it's... Yeah, I found that funny where it was like the title of the article was saying like how the Yankees have such a unique opportunity, but it was in such like a sad, underhanded way. Like, <laughs> yeah, like unique, hey, if being very cheap, unique. If yeah. none of these players get what the money that they thought they were going to get, <laughs> then maybe the Yankees will swoop in like, and so give them Ed, like a little bit of a contract. Like, but hey, at least they can maybe make a trade for Matt Olson, and that'll make the yeah. entire. Squad I was like, like yeah, why don't we continue look, that? Like, where does the scenario lead to that the Yankees have Matt Olson? I, I mean, not not even Matt Olson. Oh, Trevor sense. Story, right? Yeah, Trevor Story gets not doesn't get contract offers that he wants. So the Yankees get a few of these guys on lesser deals than they thought they would have had to, and then what? They hope to hell they win the World Series next year, and then if they don't, then they lose them all in free agency because they don't want to pay for them next year instead of this year. So you know what know. that reminds me a lot of? Like, remember? I think it was like ten years ago. Um, Gee, you and I were both in college when this happened. But like when the Yankees signed Randy Wynn, remember he was supposed to have like a lot of teams competing for him, like a three-year offer and around thirty million dollars, coming off a really good season. The Yankees ended up signing him. They're like, oh look, look, no one wanted to sign him, so we got this guy for like three million dollars on a one-year deal, and he was a disaster, right? Like that's what's more likely going to happen. You're not going to have a guy like Trevor Story fall into your lap for seven million dollars, and then he's going to play at MVP level. Like get that shit out of your head. 
And I think that's what they're they're relying on. And they're, they're looking to to those ends to actually save the offseason. And a trade from Matt Olson, should it happen, would be awesome. But that alone doesn't make the offseason, right? We've lost too much talent. We, we saw the limited talent that we have on the roster already, right? So we can't just run it back with, with that plus the addition of one player. It's, I, I, we, we've yeah, talked about I it mean, in our chats. And I'm just like, I'm, unless something really big and cataclysmic happens, like I'm not going to be, for the probably the first time in a really long time, maybe my entire life, I'm not going to be genuinely excited for the start of the baseball season. I'm not going to be like looking, I'm not going to look at the team's website, look at the rosters, search highlights, you know, get all fired up for opening day. There's just going to be, I'll root for them, sure. But I'm not going to be openly like, oh man, this is the year, because I know for sure it's not. (laughs) And this is, you can kind of see how tangled it is, obviously on a league-wide perspective, but for the Yankees especially, it's like um, they're not going to spend, I don't know if they're going to spend, you know, maybe the the luxury tax and all these financial structures change dramatically. Well, you know, you can't really guarantee they're going to spend. I, th- I guess maybe it's more likely that they spend more if the tax threshold goes up or whatever, but um, they're not going to spend because the, a dramatic change in that seems unlikely. Um, they're not going to spend. And then they should trade for Matt Olson because he's just objectively awesome, but you'd be trading from, a weakness already shortstop to get a player at a position who he's better than what you have, but you have a decent ish guy already. And also I thought it was really interesting that the article brought up the prospect of Glaber Torres going back to shortstop, which no one wants. <laughs> oh my God. No I one wants. Yeah. I was, I was uh, yeah. when I read that. Oh yep. Jesus Christ. I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I was going to bring it up. If you didn't just say, yeah, the part of the article where Gla- they were like, Oh, maybe Glaber goes back to short. I'm like, yeah, that's when I stop watching the Yankees. If, we, I, I if that's our. Well, yeah, no, no one's, I mean, Glaber Torres doesn't want that. We saw it. He played like shit. That's short stuff. Yeah. But and, look, look, if, if there's smoke, is there fire, right? Like Andy Martino wouldn't have just pulled that out of his ass, would he have? Like, maybe. I mean, but is I it mean, possible that he, yeah. that he heard the team floating it? Like, like, is it possible that someone in the inner circle of the organization leaked that? Like, hey, look, we had these big, bold plans for shortstop this offseason. And if it all comes crashing down, are we going to be cornered into having to undo what we did last year and move Blaver back to short? I guess that like, – is, is that a possibility that that rumor came out? Yeah, that's scary. I'm going to go that's out really here on a limb terrifying. and say that, no, it's not because that's stupid. Um, I think, it, like, the Yankees haven't done this generally where it's like, hey, Mike Trout was just a stud as a 19-year-old. Let's just bring his ass up. But, like, I thought it, it, the article seemed to tie those the scenarios together where it's like maybe Glaber Torres or someone goes back to shortstop and then they bring up someone later on in the season. I'm just like – yeah, well, I guess if you had to choose between signing your, you know, 30-year-old shortstop to a $300 million contract or bringing up a 19-year-old stud, I'd just be like, yeah, bring him up. Like, let's let's fucking figure it out and see what's – like, if I had to watch Gleyber Torres for two months and you promised me that one of the best prospects in the organization would be up after that, I guess I'd sign up for that. But I wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, if I have to read – one more Yankees article about potential signings in the offseason, and I see Andrewson Simmons' name one more time, I'm I'm going to lose it, right? I, I've seen Andrewson, his name is in every article, like, oh, well, maybe like an Andrewson sound, like, no, please, please, just please stop. Because I, I the more, as time goes on, 
I, I just see it happening more and more. So like every article I read is like, oh, well, the Yankees are kind of hoping a big name shortstop falls into their lap. That sounds like we're going to get an average to below average shortstop in here. Um, Freddie Freeman was also a name referenced in the article. Um, but then again, Manny Martinez said that doesn't seem likely. And it's more likely that it's Rizzo on a one or two year deal. So which look, I've, I've said from the beginning I wouldn't mind getting Rizzo back for a couple of years. I think Rizzo's a good clubhouse guy. I think Rizzo's consistent. Like, he's almost guaranteed to, you know, give you, like, 25, 30 home runs, probably a little more, because if he's playing 60, 70-plus games in Yankee Stadium, he's going to get some port shots. Um, you know, good the, defense of, like, 10 times the defensive first baseman Voight is, right, a gold glover. So, yeah, I think the problem I, would, is... I wouldn't mind getting Rizzo back. But if, if there's – there's a path to get Freddie Freeman, a former former MVP, let alone it was a Mickey Mouse MVP in 2020 lockout year, right? I understand. But a guy who is a World Series champ and a great first baseman, if we have a Especially chance to Especially what he was rumored. What was the deal? Six years, $180 million is what he wanted? Like, that's very, very fair for a guy yeah, like and, may, and maybe the Yankees offer him a short – but, like – if we're not going to spend that money for Correa, like, I, I just don't think we're spending that money for anyone. Like, I could be wrong, but at this point, from what I'm reading, it just doesn't seem like the Yankees are willing to open the checkbook like that for a big-name guy. And they're going to go for cheap out. They're going to do the same thing they've done the last few years. And I know they've signed Cole, and I know they have Stanton, and I know they're going to have to pay Judge. I understand. But, look, at, at the end of the day, like, the, like you, and I keep, I keep – I always hate saying, like, I hate sounding like a boomer, but, like – Look, when you haven't won a World Series, when you haven't been to a World Series in over a decade, it, maybe it's time to just start saying, okay, let, let's let's get the best possible players in here, right? Let's let's go ahead. Oh, Correa's out there. Freeman's out there. Like, let's try to get one of those guys. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, get both those guys. I understand that might be a little, just a little bit uh, not, uh, non-negotiable, but I just – I just can't take no, like another the offseason of the Yankees trying to go for cheap alter because we see where that's gotten us, man. Like, we see where them trying to cheap out and get these, like, you know, like we always, like, people always talk about Cashman. Oh, like, Cashman got another one. But it's like, hey, why why try to find a diamond in a rough when there's a diamond right there? You know, like, well, well what's the point? Right. Like, the problem is that, like, you could say, hey, like, if most Yankee fans, you said to them, like, Anthony Rizzo is going to play first picks next year. They'd be like, yeah, you know what? That's probably fine. Like, right. if you were going to run it back, like, you could point to any one of these positions and be like, hey, um, Anthony Rizzo, or, you know, maybe Gio Rochelle is our third baseman next year, like, whatever. Um, but all these things together, because then you're basically just running back the same team, and that, that team was horrible to watch. So, like, you know, yeah, Anthony only, Rizzo on his path. own is fine, but, like, all together, you can't I, just I you would, can't make okay, this case I, for every single real one. Real quick, I would be fine with Rizzo. If we got Correa, right? Like yeah. if we signed Correa yeah. and then got Rizzo, it's like, okay, we're going to like, that is completely fine. But if we get Rizzo and then we got either like Glaber or Angleton Simmons or like a Freddie Galvis or just like, you know, just an average shortstop out there. Now I'm going to be mad because it's like, look, our infield can't be, you know, R- R- Gary Rizzo, uh, you know, DJ, Glaber, and Gio. Like, that's just not a good infield. That's a below average. That's not even, like, a top 20 infield in the MLB, okay? And, yeah, do we are we going to have a good outfield and a good pitching rotation, a good bowl? Yeah, we are. But, man, that is a – like, that's something that hit me in that wild card game last year. And, obviously, you know, DJ was injured. There were some injuries. But, man, I looked at that infield, and I said to myself, like, 
Shit, even if DJ was out there, this is a bad infield. Bro, like, look, I think even when there hasn't been the strongest Yankee teams over the years, you, we usually always have, like, an elite infield, right? I mean, whether it was, like, Tex, Cano, and Jeter, it, we usually have a pretty damn good infield. And I, I, like, even right now, I mean, obviously we're in a lockout. We can't do anything about it right now. But, man, if they try to trot out, like, you know, G, like Geo Glaber, Geo and Glaber both could not be starting in the same field. I mean, pro, like neither of them probably should be, to be honest. Like, but I don't think both those guys can be starting for you on opening day, whenever opening day is. It could be July, but yeah, I, I just I, that just can't happen. That just no, really, look, look, as the, much the as only... I like Geo, as much as I like Geo, I'm not sure if he's like if he's a starter for us this coming season, right? No, like, I don't I think so either. I, th- I think he was fun for, for the few years that right. he was, it was a fun run. He, he, you know, he exceeded expectations, but now you kind of have to look back and say, eh, he's probably better off the bench as like that fifth infielder. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't I, think he should be starting. Or, right. Because he can play shortstop, but like, exactly. you don't want to slot him in as the everyday shortstop. And he, I still view him as a third baseman, even though he played a lot of shortstop last year. Uh, I think the only way the Yankees can run it back and actually find success outside of the pitching being like untouchable would be if Dylan Lawson comes in and shows just how much of a, of a failure Marcus Thames was last year. Like if he can unlock something and all these guys and turn the clock back to 2019 when they were all really good hitters again, it, maybe, maybe the, the roster we have works, but are, are you willing to put your name on that? I sure shit on it. That would be the the funniest thing of all time if like the Yankees were just like like you know Glaber oh Glaber has like twenty homers at the All Star break get Gary's just you know he's just hitting again like it, it just Marcus Timms was actually that awful but I'm not gonna put my you know hopes on that um but Hope yeah guys not a strategy <laughs> oh god but real quick before let's just wrap up with this and I don't want to spend too long on this but there is only a one man that got elected to the baseball hall of fame this year. And uh, it's not even because this is like, here's the thing. I don't even like hate David Ortiz like that. And this isn't just like a Yankees podcast. This isn't even a Yankees podcast. As a Yankees podcast, we don't have a problem with David Ortiz getting in. We have a problem with David Ortiz getting in and other people not getting in. Like this isn't even like a, Oh, we're salty Yankee fans that David. No, this is the fact that he got in and look, uh, we all know Barry Bonds is probably juicing, right? Like 80, 90% of that generation was, right? It, it's what, it is what it is. It's a part of baseball. But the fact that, look, Barry Bonds never, like, failed a PED test, right? It's He's never tested positive for steroids. It, it never happened, even though we all probably know he did it. His head literally went from, like, a size 7 to an 8. It, he, you know, he never tested positive. David Ortiz, even though he got his name exonerated from the Mitchell part, he, like, David Ortiz was a juicer. I think that's kind of like well known around baseball. David Ortiz was a scrub on the Minnesota Twins, and then all of a sudden it became like a legendary slugger on the Red Sox. And I get he, you know, David Ortiz, a lot of clutch hits, big part of baseball history. But bro, Barry, Barry fucking Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling is a whole other story. But like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, man, those are legends, man. For whatever you think of them, like those guys are legends of the game. And for them to like for David Ortiz to be a first ballot Hall of Fame, shit, man, even A Rod. Like it's a, for A Rod to get as low as I forget what his final percentage was, but I think it was like below fifty percent. Yeah, right? it was like in the thirties. I just look, man, and it's like people were talking about it, and 
it's kind of it's kind of a good point. It's like, look, you know, David Ortiz, he's in the media, he's liked in the media, like he, he's a likable guy, and it, he got voted first ballot, and it really is. Like, look, in our Slack chat that we have, I mean, we all like we probably post like every single person that posted a ballot on Twitter, right, in our chat, and like you just see how some of these people vote, and it really is just like, oh, some of these people literally vote for the people they like, and it really just shows you like how. I mean, shit, man, we've said that. I think this is like the fifth time we said this. Like, it's tough being a baseball fan sometimes because you see, like, the way people vote for the Hall of Fame. It's just – it's insane. It really is right. insane that David Ortiz is a first ballot Hall of Famer and Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are now off the ballot. And I, like, there's still a way for them to be, like, written in by the committee. But, you know, man, like, it's just insane. Like, how are you – like, how are you going to fill out a ballot saying, yep, David Ortiz, you're in, Barry Bonds, sorry, man, you cheat. Like, the, like, know the, like, know the game, man. I forget who says it. It might be Joel Sherman, but every year that they they see a bunch of players that don't get voted in, they're like, guys, it's a fucking museum. Like, yeah, I get it, it's the Hall of Fame, right? It's supposed to honor the greats of the sport, but at its core, it's a fucking museum. And what's see, the museum's job? To represent history. You can't exactly. tell the history of without Major Barry Bonds, without, without Barry Roger Bonds. Clemens. Like, what are you doing? Someone who's widely considered now like to be the best hitter of all time isn't in a museum about baseball. Yeah, it's um, insane. And, like, and just in terms of, like, our ego, sorry. I was going to say, like, the people give shit about the Basketball Hall of Fame because, like, they let everyone in. But I'd rather it be that than, like, oh, no, we're going to be, like, real strict, you know? Like, oh, like, there's – like, look at all the all-time great players. And you'll see, like, oh, this guy was 97.6%. And you're like, bro, who the hell didn't vote for, like, Willie Mays or, like, any like any legendary player? Because literally the only – you know, obviously, literally, Mo is the unanimous guy. Literally, like you know, obviously, Mo was the first unanimous. And you're like, bro, like, how did Ken Griffey or like, like, none of these guys were like, who the hell didn't vote for these guys first ballot Hall of Fame? Like, like how could you watch this, Willie Mays or Ken Griffey and be like, thing. nope, not first ballot. Sorry, that's eh, just like, just insane. The stupid thing where you be like, oh well, I'll vote for him next year. Well, why is he more of a Hall of Famer next year right. when he doesn't play? Right, he's retired, so he's not doing anything in this one year to add to his candidacy. Like, well, that, um, that's where you have the rule of ten, where is an issue because a lot of times there's twelve to fifteen qualified candidates, and every guy can only vote for ten. And sometimes they'll move their votes around. They'll vote for a guy, and then they'll not vote for him the next year because they know that I can sacrifice my vote for this guy this year because he's going to get in. He doesn't need me. I need to use my 10th vote on someone else who may drop off the ballot altogether. And then the person who had their vote dropped may risk not getting a unanimous election, which is shitty to them. But it's also unfair that the writer had to choose 10 names when he wanted to vote 12 guys, right? Like it's just a broken system. And I'll just, in terms of my briefly summarized thoughts, like the hall of fame. I mean, I've been to the hall of fame, right? A lot of people probably have. It's pretty cool. You know, there's, but like in terms of, just the idea of it all like the hall of fame as far as i'm concerned has just little to no credibility left in my eyes because you have all you know the writers association right like the steroid thing is just so fucked you know it's so convoluted and stupid at this point it's like the league knew and then they didn't and the you know writers still want to have this holier than now opinion of the steroid use but david ortiz just got it right it doesn't make any sense so this like it, but it, David Ortiz is a likable guy. You don't understand. He had that literally. I'm just smile, like, and he played David Ortiz, and he's he thrown the Yankees, so he's a hero. Like, there's just no integrity with these guys. And I don't nope. mean to undermine what David Ortiz did. I'm just saying, like, people will use like that's that's their rationale. Like, well, well, I don't care what he did wrong because he was the, on the Red Sox and he faced the big bag Yankees and he had that great smile and he was so clutch in October, so nothing else matters. It's like, dude, integrity actually matters. Like, 
none of these guys have it, but it still matters. It should matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so, it's, I don't know, man. It's just so annoying. Like, and this is another one of those layers when it'd be like, oh, well, you know, it just makes it so difficult to be a fan, right? Because you could have the Hall of Fame and have the ceremony and everyone goes to Cooperstown and it's all wonderful. Um, it's it, it, you, they, you can't even be excited about this because it's just so stupid, right? You're not going to be able to go to Cooperstown and say Barry Bonds. You know what? Hey, maybe he was on steroids, but he was one hell of a, a baseball player to watch, right? It's just, it's just so stupid. But that's, and that's the just, thing that... That just ruins the argument when you go, it's like, there's David Ortiz, first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, you're, like, if they elected a guy who was like a hard nosed, like clean guy, like who, like, for sure didn't take steroids, like, you're just like, all right, fine, whatever. They elected some, you know, a guy who quote unquote did it the right way. Like, you, you could at least understand that argument. Like, if a guy like that got in over Barry Bonds. I would say doing it, quote unquote, the right way. That's what I'm saying. Doing it, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything in baseball Doing it the quote unquote right way, right way. Um, (sighs) This is a fun little stat we can say, like, um, you know, and again, David Ortiz, whatever, he's in the Hall of Fame. That's fantastic for him. He was a good player, and good players should be in the Hall of Fame. and he said so afterwards. He goes like, you know, I'm a little upset because those guys aren't coming in with me. Like, kudos to him. What? That's whatever. Like, good for you, David Ortiz. Like, yeah, yeah I was about to say um, it's nothing against David Ortiz. Like, it's 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 literally nothing against David. It's not his fault that like this. You know, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens just aren't. And the way uh, baseball writers vote for the Hall of Fame is bullshit. It's not his fault. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, it's like, just it, like the institution of baseball, right? There's all this shit with the lockout and all the, you know, it's all just suffering so. Dramatically, even in, in ways that it doesn't have to. Um, and like I said previously, like the Hall of Fame in my eyes is just little to no credibility right now as it's currently constituted in the voting system and all. It's, it's just fucking stupid. I, it's just, I can't even pay attention to it anymore. Like, um, a fun stat though, because Barry Bonds, regardless of what you think and how much of a jerk he might have been, yep. was a great baseball player. And um, a stat that I loved when all this was being talked about within the last week or so. David Ortiz's career on base percentage is 380. Barry Bonds, if you took his career on base percentage, if you took all his 762 career home runs and turned them into outs, his on base percentage for his career would be 384. That's that's like yeah. the Wayne, that's like the Wayne Gretzky stat. That's like if you if you took away all of his goals scored, he would still have the most points in NHL history just on his assists. Like. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe it changes. Maybe it gets in. Maybe whatever. Maybe a lot of things happen. Maybe baseball changes dramatically over the next couple of years, and we don't Probably have not. to be so mad about it all the time. Probably not. But, you know, <laughs> hey, we can hope. A fool's hope, hope, but we can hope. That's that's um, all we can do is hope. But, like, that's all we have to hang on to, right? It's just that, like, we get to watch these really good players. And once you're on the field, all this stupid shit's not going to matter as much, hopefully. But right now it's really, really – a lot of stuff that is just horrible about baseball and that kind of sucks. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning of the show, like wish we could bring more positive news, have more positive vibes, but it's just, there's not much to be positive about, man. And sometimes you just kind of have to be a realist, but you know, we hope to be back maybe sometime next week, maybe the week after, maybe do like a special episode, especially if lockout talks just continue to be at a standstill. Uh, but for Luigi, for Andrew, for G, this was the Bronx Mario Battle Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.